wait a minute, turn on the radio My homie got a new show and it's time to play it though I hope you got in tune, he talking bigger business He make a lot of moves, we talking Scott Catoon I'm saying wait a minute Welcome to the Startup Showcase, I'm your host Scott Catoon And um, man do I wish that was not just a Diet Coke It's one of those days that's just kind of ugly out and it feels like I mean, honestly, the view here is so ridiculous that even on a dreary day like this, it looks great. But I, I'm going to guess that today is going to be my highest listenership in a long time because it's so ugly out that you have to be sitting in the house listening to WGN. Okay, um, let's get all the news and notes out of the way first. So obviously, follow us on social at Technori at Katoon. Uh, if you don't listen to the podcast yet, you're... I don't want to call people stupid because that's not nice, but like it's so good and so many great founders and CEOs across the country come on it and you're missing out. If you like the short snippets that this show is, uh, that's a longer listen. Um, I'll preface this by saying that it's a little explicit. I use language they don't allow me to say on this radio, uh, but you'll enjoy it, I, I think. And I want to tell you now also that we're going to be launching officially today. I'm super excited about it. I want to thank um, Sean Brown, the CEO of Ycharts, for, for helping us set this up. But a new section of this new segment of this show, uh, which will, will be brought to you by Y Charts. If you don't know what Y Charts is, you need to. Uh, YCharts.com. I'm talking to you, the retail investor. I'm also talking to every one of you who are financial planner, financial management, retirement planner, whether that's for like a big group and your company doesn't have this service or doesn't have a good one. Uh, or you're doing it for like friends and family. I've got a couple of people I know who are former CFOs that now do this for friends and family. Um, mostly because it's so easy now to invest. You know, Robinhood app, TD Ameritrade got wrapped up. So you got Charles Schwab. Uh, you've got M1 Finance is another tool I love. Um, this is basically for those of you out there old school that remember Bloomberg Terminal. This is a much cheaper version of Bloomberg Terminal. Uh, right now, it's meant for commercial use, so it's about you know forty five hundred dollars, five thousand uh, dollars a month. I'm sorry, a year for you to be able to use the dashboard and have access to all of this cool information in real time. Very similar to Bloomberg Terminal, uh, which is a little steep for someone who's just like kind of a not really a trader. They're just sort of play every once in a while. Um, although I'm trying to convince Sean and the team that he needs a, a price point and a tool for the retail investor like myself and, and hopefully you. So the more of you that listen and tweet at us and, and comment and, and go to check out whitecharts.com, um, he will be forced to create this tool for you that I possess. And I'm, I say this, not I, I'm saying this in all honesty, not being boastful. My penchant for investing in stocks has gotten so obsessive that I reached out to Sean trying to get access to this tool because I... <laughs> I no longer can just do my Robinhood app or my M1 Finance app uh, and and like just live on like the re- kind of delayed time. Like I need to know the the charts and where everything is at. And on the second after the commercial break, I'm going to go into some breakdowns and things that I think are important for you. But I just want to get this. So like for me personally, I'm I my wife has our her money um, managed by I think Raymond James and they do a fantastic job. But on my side, I'm crushing it. Like I'm up seventy percent. On my tech sector stocks this year, the market S&P 500 tech is like 48%, which we'll get into later. So that's ridiculous. So the market's awesome, but I'm even doing better than that. And most of it has to do with the way that I look at the charts. And I'm not a finance guy, so I'm hoping that the segment that we're going to kick off every single uh, week here with you is going to make it a little bit more layman's terms. And and, and the second half of this, I'm going to I'm going to show you what I mean by that actually. So stay tuned for that. 
Um, but I, I just, I would love your feedback. I don't know. We got this show's a little jam packed. We will take calls if you are interested in calling in, uh, three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred. But I think going forward, I'm going to carve some time out during the show, during the front se- uh, half of the show to answer questions of yours about stocks and about things that you're investing in, why and why not. Uh, and I'm going to share some of the reports that I have access to through Y charts that you don't have access to that you should, uh, <clears throat> Sean have access to. Um, but, uh, to do that, it's real simple. We live in a digital world, so you got to tweet at me at Katoon. Just tweet, DM, tweet at whatever you want to do. Um, and if you tag Y charts in it, that would of course help uh, Y charts out and help me out because then they would get a personal product out, which would be amazing. So we're going to take a commercial break. I'm going to come back. I'm going to give you some wrap up market trends from 2019. I'm going to talk a little trash at the S and P and uh, and the Dow. And then we're going to pick out a couple companies that did some some great stuff, some companies that didn't do some great stuff, and some local picks. So we'll be back after this. All right. Welcome back to the uh, the newest segment, the Y Charts Market Watch. I don't like the name Market Watch. I think everyone has that one. I think we even have that at WGN. I'm not sure. Um, so I'm just going to call it the Y Charts. I, I don't... If you like something else, tweet it at me. I'm not a name person. I don't know what my problem is. I also just missed a three-point bucket with that little thing I wrapped up. Anyway. Okay. Market Trends 2019. Most of this shouldn't come as a, as a huge surprise to you, but um, I I guess it did surprise me. So here's the deal. S&P is up 25%, okay? S&P, so S&P 500, are up 25% for 2019, actually 2019 and half of June, or I guess a third of June. And S&P tech, so the tech companies within the S&P 500, are up 48%. That's... It, like, twice, that's insane, okay? So S&P also, this is S&P 500, also crushed small and mid-sized businesses. And it's respectively, it's like 20, it's not crushed. 25% on the year growth, 16 and 12 respectively. NASDAQ, this one is, I think, important. NASDAQ beat out S&P 500 and the DJ in general by about, give or take seven, eight percent, which isn't huge. But when you factor in the the poor performance of a bunch of IPO companies, that I think shifts it back a lot. So if you were to remove, you know, Lyft, Slack, Peloton, I guess, sort of, Pinterest for sure. Um, and you know, there's a couple of Zoom did really well, then they didn't, then they did. If you removed a couple of these and, and obviously Uber, but Uber's sort of capitalizing it. If you remove some of the IPOs that people poo-pooed on uh, for various reasons, which we've talked about in weeks past, and I can talk about again, but I, I won't because we're going to do this kind of weekly, and so you'll get it. You'll if you listen long enough, you'll get it. Um, it would have crushed it. It would have not even been a beat. It was thirty-one twenty-five twenty. It would have been like forty-five percent beat for Nasdaq. Here's why I tell you this: even the companies, so like. I think all of you are at least somewhat aware of where your portfolios are, I'm guessing, especially those who are close to retirement or retired. Like, it matters, right? The market is at all-time highs. I believe the NASDAQ a couple weeks ago closed like nine or ten days straight of its highest ever. So, like, a recession of some sort, a pullback, has to happen. And even if it's a 10% pullback, which would be fantastic, or 20 or, of course, the worst end, um, the tech stocks will draw back. And when I say tech stocks, I'm not talking about the new ones because I think, you know, like Uber, they might take a hit a little bit. Zoom, Uber, Peloton, some of these other ones, which I'll get into in a second. I think that those will go back, but there's not a whole lot further for them to go back because they launch at like 40 and are like 26. So there's not a whole lot of room there. 
the Apples, I think, is running fat. It's still a good company, but running fat. You know, Salesforce, uh, AMD. There's all these companies that are that were hot this year. They're going to pull back, but they're that's fantastic to me. I would start pulling my money out of it slowly now, and then wait until there is an eventual recession, and and hopefully it's not terrible. Um, but I would buy then when it's all cheap. So I want I want to go into a couple of companies here and why, but we have a call in, so I want to take this call first. And they're calling from California, which is fantastic. Uh, what do we got? Hello. How you doing? Um, I, I'm good. I, I'm 60. Um, I have no real expenses, and I'm pretty well vested in a regular fund. I transferred my retirement to a investment. Sorry, I'm walking. And um, I want to jump in and do some stock myself. I'm going to come into some money from um, an estate, and I want to play with between 1000 and 5000 to start, and I want to start with one of these small um, apps. What's the best app, but in your opinion, I mean, uh, I looked at Robinhood, and there's a couple other ones. Okay, I've- yeah, so I got this for you. So I have, I have a bunch of them, but the two that I like the most is one is Robinhood because I can I have the choice of doing getting in and getting out in the day it's day trading I'm buying the whole stock so if I want to get out I can just turn around and sell it and it's and that's it and it tracks all the statements so tax stuff is not a, a, a big pain M1 finance is the other one that I'm obsessed with I have most of my money in M1 because I can park it I mean first off it has like interest bearing savings so you can leave money in it that's not invested and just roll it in and out and collect two percent. But you can. Oh, excellent! Yeah, and and I think Robinhood's actually launching that coming up soon. But M one's difference is it's an ETF, so you can invest in all these different companies in shares, so you don't have to buy the whole stock. But it only trades once a day, so you're not going to be able to get in and out if you see the stock market sliding. So I put all my money in the longer term hold, you know, a year, you know, three months, six months, eight months, and I just rebalance the portfolio, which it hasn't a button in it, so you just click and it rebalances automatically. And I would leave my money there. And then if I were you and I had, you know, I think 5000 for Robinhood, you know, I don't know if that's the total amount you want to invest, but if it was, you know, 2500 or 5000 in Robinhood, I would put it in. I would pay for Robinhood Gold so that you, it's like $5 a month. So you get access to the reporting and you can actually get some le- some margin. So they let you invest with credit essentially. Um, but you don't have a lot of money in it. So it's not like you're going to be belly up. You're not buying penny stocks. Um, okay. And then you can just put some bets on, you know, like a couple companies I like uh, that are small, like startup y type companies, Sprout Social and Livongo or two that are local to Chicago, but I really like them. Uh, Peloton is really priced, like it's really cheap right now for what it is. Snapchat is running a little fat, but those are companies that I like. And then ultimately for your long term hold, where I would go is um, anything that is, is involved in the the cloud war if you're familiar with the the cloud it's like you save anything to apple icloud you save anything to amazon aws google microsoft they're the most of the money that they're making right now is actually in cloud storage so all these big businesses who save all their data they're all in the cloud they're all in what they call the cloud for that, that is owned primarily by google amazon and microsoft and right now businesses only 18 percent of businesses are actually using the cloud so the market is insane so the, the okay. those those three stocks, I mean, you think of Amazon in the normal marketplace. Amazon's big money is coming from AWS, the cloud. Okay. So those three stocks, even if we take a recession, those things are they're going to at least double over the next ten years. Okay. Okay, that's a big help. Of course, yeah, and, and, and do. 
Okay, thank you so much. Of course, thank you so much. Take care. Okay, so as I was saying uh, in the middle of this, I, I kind of she kind of led me right into the, the end of this, so it worked out really well. Uh, I only had two things left. Apple is crushing it in product, right? Everybody loves Apple, or maybe you don't, but I do. Um, I think it's the best product out there for the tech that I use. It, it works, it's beautiful, etc. I look at Apple, going back to this cloud war discussion, I look at Apple and I view iCloud and all of their cloud storage as like not the greatest but it's super simple and it works for my personal life. So me having everything on a device that is beautiful and works all the time and it's all saving to a cloud that is the most, I guess this is debatable people, certain shows people would be firing at me right now, but this show, I think I'm safe. Um, Apple has the safest, most secure solutions. And so to me, the cloud war is a one-off win Apple versus Android Google because Google has all kinds of security questions, not security, but the data, data where it's going questions. So Apple's the winner on the personal level for cloud. On the business level, it is Microsoft, Azure, Amazon, and Google. And all of you are sitting there going, Amazon, that's where I shop, and Google, that's where I, you know, whatever, that's where I search stuff from Gmail. Microsoft, that's, isn't that against Apple, computers and software? No. The biggest money that they're going to make over the next 10 years is going to be in cloud. And so right now, even with Apple and Microsoft and Amazon at all-time highs, they're all going to be trillion-dollar-plus companies next year, regardless of the recession. Because every single business, as they start to lean out because the recession causes them to make less money, they have no choice but to go to tech and go cloud because it enables to be more nimble and not have to employ so many people. So even if there's a recession... The market will jerk and react and pull down those tech stocks momentarily, but then all of their revenue numbers will start going. You now Amazon and some will lose some money because people spending you know less money, but actually Amazon is kind of like a cheaper discount in some cases, so that that's debatable. Bottom line is businesses have to invest in technology infrastructure, or they will become too fat and too slow, and they will lose. And so that to me is a cloud war, and I like any conflict ever. The, the number one thing I want in stock investing and really in anything in life is conflict because at conflict points, there are always opportunity because someone gets beaten down and someone gets beaten up, beaten up being price beating up. Uh, so I like that. That's my thing there. Um, as far as the pits, uh, picks that I gave her, Lavongo and Sprout, I like them. They're, far, they're fairly cheap. Business market's good. They haven't taken on a lot of debt. Grubhub is the other one that's gotten absolutely crushed. I mean, I think it could get cheaper yet. But I think there's word on the street that they're going to get acquired. So it's kind of a Fitbit scenario. You buy it in it. I think Grub's around 50-something. Fitbit was like six and change. If Google ends up getting the buy on Fitbit, the stock's probably going to move out at like seven and a quarter. So it's a nice little two or 3% flip for you. And then Grubhub, if it's, you know, gets down to like 48 bucks and it gets sold at, you know, 55 or 60, that's a nice win. So I like those. My last thing before we roll out of this tech, uh, this market watch kind of deal, which by the way, as I said, tweet at me. At Katoon, if you don't like this or you do, if you don't like it, it's not going to change anything, but you know, I'll listen. Um, Peloton versus Slack. So on, on Y charts, what I love about Y charts is it has this thing called the Y rating. And in the Y rating, it's like kind of a layman's ish terms for rating a stock, whether you'd invest or not. Yada, yada, yada. Both Peloton and Slack are marked as a void. And here's the difference Slack. Has and, and I'm not disagreeing with YChart's position, but I am kind of a dummy sometimes, and I like to invest based on common sense than the numbers. The numbers got to back up, prove or disprove my common sense. I, I start with common sense. Slack has an incumbent 
that we just talked about, Microsoft. Microsoft Teams is the direct competitor among many other chat apps out there that Slack has to compete with. And so if Microsoft gets everyone on the cloud and then offers up everyone Microsoft Office 365, and then everyone starts using Teams in that because it's free and it already works with all the other products that they're on, Slack is sort of, uh, well, they're held, they're, they're slacked. They got too much slack. It's not, it's going to be very difficult. That one is a fundamentals question. I say avoid it. Peloton, on the other hand, also marked avoid for the same reasons. It's a, it's a crowded space, yada, yada, yada. Here's the main difference for me on this. Real quick. Peloton is the only player in its market that actually has all the parts and pieces that it has. All of the other, the Bowflexes and all these other groups that have been around forever, they're on the downswing. Their innovation is not good. They have no digital. It's clunky. It's in big box workout places that no one wants to go to. They're all partnered with businesses that are dying, whereas Peloton is putting it right in your home and making it as easy as, as possible. And if you travel, you don't have to carry anything with you. You just sign into the app. So for me, despite all of the commercial unsuccess, Peloton to me is a buy, 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 buy. We're going to go to commercial or news, or whatever we do here. I don't even remember what we do anymore. I think we're just going to commercial, but we're going to come back with a startup showcase portion of the show. We're going to flip it from public markets to investing in early-stage startup markets. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Hopefully you've enjoyed that. I got one uh, comment on Twitter I'm trying to respond to on Twitter, but since we have a second, uh, the comment, uh, I read it briefly, was basically that Peloton has no profit, so avoid. That's actually not true, and that goes back to a conversation about Tesla. They have demonstrated the ability to make a profit. Tesla, which by the way is my big win. I shouldn't be saying I have a huge percentage of wins on my stock portfolio, even though I'm doing okay. Tesla is my big win. I got in at 180 something dollars and I'm just rolling through this 500 mark, which, you know, it's, it's a good amount of money. But the thing is, everyone saw Tesla miss their marks and said, no, there's no way they're going to make it. And then there's the whole China thing and there's all these question marks, which the China thing was legitimate. The reality was Elon Musk said he could be profitable if X, Y, and Z. And everyone got really mad because he got profitable selling a ton of Model 3s, beautiful car, by the way, instead of the Model S, which is a lot more money. And so it's like, oh, you made the money, but you missed the marks. You didn't sell the expensive car, you sold the cheap one, and so you're less profitable. He spent money on growing infrastructure, building out the factories, and doing all the things necessary to grab market share not pursuing profit. They're different. And I understand that like everyone understands that there's a difference in profit. But the reality here is, when I look at Peloton, I look at any of these other ones, Peloton's hard costs used to be building the bikes. It's still a cost, but they bought the factory that built it. They bought the factory that built the treadmill, too. They bought the factory that builds rower, too. They own it. Fully cycled. Saves them probably 15-20% to margins. You don't see it yet because they're still building the ones that will come out of it. The other part of this that is important is that it's a digital business. At the end of the day, they need to grab as much land as they possibly can. The CEO was on the conference call at the end of the last quarter and said, here are the metrics we could have hit to make profitability. Here's the money we spent on marketing and all the money they're spending on this upcoming Super Bowl ad to grab share because they need to get me, who's running a little overweight right now, uh, to buy their buy-in. And it's not just about buying the, the bike or the treadmill. they got to buy the subscription and stay on it. Well, keeping on a subscription is very expensive for a company to make sure that I sell you a subscription at $29 a month or $39, whatever it is, uh, $25, I can't even remember. 
Um, but now you have to have me keep it because I will probably quit in three to four months and you can't afford that. So you've got to keep marketing to make me feel like I'm ready to rock and roll every day. Make me feel like I'm not going to quit working out. It's expensive. But once they have the, the domain and the core user base on it, I mean, to catch them is going to be very difficult. So, I, and we could argue all day whether Peloton is a good company. Many people, many very smart people say no. I just say yes. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, I like companies that understand how to get profitable, can show me where they could be profitable, and it's not just BS numbers. Like, here's legitimately where one money went instead of another. Profitability is overrated if you have a company that has to grow leaps and bounds to create a barrier. There's no barrier to riding on a bike, right? I need to create, create brand barrier. Brand barrier costs money. It's just a different way of thinking. But thank you for the tweet. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. A lot of people say that. I just... I have a. I'm a risk man. I I like. I will gamble. I gamble on accident. I I would bet on whether I can even click the button to start the next segment. So speaking of the next segment, we got the startup showcase portion of this, and uh, well, here we go. Hello. How you doing? Hi. How are you? We're doing well. Okay. So uh, let's get the pitch for your company, and uh, then I'll ask some questions. We'll go from there. Sure. I'm uh, Manuela. Um, I'm the CEO and, and co-founder. And um, Renata, you want to introduce me? I'm Renata. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Renata. I'm a co-founder and chief creative officer <laughs> for the company. Yeah. And we're the co-founders of Alpha. Alpha is a B2B marketplace. And basically what we do is we connect thousands of artists to companies. Uh, and we essentially license our artwork by these artists and drop ship limited edition prints. We have supply chain in place in three continents, so North America, South America, and Europe. And this allows us to import and export art cross-border without the hassle of logistics and intercontinental taxation. And since we're completely cloud-based, we'd like to say that we're the biggest art collective in the world, but we hold no art. So think of us like the, the Spotify of the visual arts. All right, very cool. So I have a couple things on this, actually. Why don't you tell me your background first? Because this art, we've had a couple people on the show before in the art space, mm-hmm. and that usually uh, has a unique background because art is not something you fall into typically. So why, why don't you give me a little bit of your background? Sure. Uh, so I'll start. Uh, my, my background is in finance, actually. <laughs> and uh, I worked in a, a big hedge fund in Latin America where I looked at equities basically for a long time. But my whole family is in the arts. So, yeah, it's not something you typically fall into. My mother's an artist. My dad is an art advisor. My uncle is a gallery owner, and so it goes. So I I grew up in this world, but I was always very critical about how things were done. So when we came up with the concept, uh, it it was really to to change things up. Yeah, and me, on the other other hand, I had nothing to do with art until later on in my life when I first moved to New York City in 2011. And I went to pursue a master's at creative education and just working at auction house for a while. Also a very uh, big gallery in the city as well. But also like Manuela, being an insider and outsider, I was very critical about the way things were done. And I think that's what brought us together. Very cool. All right. So here's the thing. Um, I'm going to share this with everyone, um, everyone in the world who cares about us, I guess. Um, on Twitter, pretty much everywhere on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, at Katoon everywhere, at Technori everywhere. Uh, the link to invest in this company 
is, um, just to make sure I get this right, it is republic.co slash alpha dash A. And you can all invest, uh, it looks like here, a minimum, as little as $100. Uh, their value cap right now is $8 million. The funding goal you're trying to get is anywhere up to a million dollars, as people know. Uh, so far, and you guys can come back at me if this is right or wrong, over 120% of revenue growth year-to-date, working across three continents, uh, world's biggest inventory of free virtual gallery. That's the part that I want to get back into, and I'll talk about on the back half of this segment. Um, and obviously, you've got some great clients, Zola, Gilt, Hilton, etc. Um Tell me a little bit about the revenue, if you can. Like, where, where, what is, where does revenue add, and how long have you guys been at it? Sure. So we launched uh, in 2017, mid 2017, in the states, uh, and uh, you know we've we've been growing revenue constantly since inception. Uh, we got our first big hospitality project at the end of last year, and just got a second one now. Uh, and you know we've seen a lot of massive potential from uh, clients that were brought to us from one of our strategic investors, Metaprop, which is the leading prop tech, uh, I think, fund maybe in the world. Uh, And uh, so for 2019, we have to close out the numbers, but we're somewhere close to 200K in revenue. Uh, I think since inception, we've sold over 1,200 pieces of art, give or take. Might be closer to 1,500 once we do finish these latest projects. Uh, and um, it's interesting to kind of like look at how our product is, because if you think of fine arts, you usually think, you know, it's going to cost $20,000, $30,000, but our average ticket size uh, on our editions is around 200 to $300. Yep. Uh, so I want to just be clear here, um, just because I have, I have some feelings about this, having a little experience uh, being in buildings that have it. Um, can you tell me what the, describe the artwork. What does it look like? What, what am I experiencing? So you're looking at a, a painting on a wall or a photography on a wall. It'll be framed in some beautiful frames, and, you know, the client gets to choose the, the final product. We also do 3D printed sculptures. This is a new area for us. We did a collaboration with a huge Cuban artist uh, who had statues along Park Avenue that were 18 feet tall. And we worked in creating the miniatures, which were uh, around, I'm thinking, in inches. I think about inches. 20 inches, yeah, in, in diameter. So it was, you know, a perfect example of how technology and of how additions can really make art available to everyone. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I, I will talk about after we take a commercial break on this segment is just the... The interest level that young people, I mean, it's not, not just young people, but every people, but young people in particular have with regard to seeing virtual art, you know, and just like the the constantly changing and seeing local artists who can create designs and things that are really unique. Um, we office next to Merchandise Mart here in Chicago, which is 1871, is headquartered there, and the walls are literally filled with anything from like actual digital art, meaning that it was made by hand, and it's like uh, there's there's lights that are there are things dynamic things electronic things that are built into it, but it is not a screen that shows art. Then there are a bunch of large screens that are even even built and assembled next to each other in a way that they can make something abstract. And then there's a bunch of different screens that just literally showcase 
designed art, many of which are from younger uh, STEM students in Chicago that can do it on an iPad. And it's really cool. It keeps it constantly changing. And it makes an office, in my opinion, feel alive. And there is a, and you guys know this already from, from your business, but also from the investor wars that are going on amongst the real estate community. There's this thing um, going on amongst uh, not just commercial, but residential towers, uh, which is the amenity war. They're trying to find anything they possibly can do to make their lobby and office more interactive, more communicative, more fun, more interesting. Um, and that goes from like gym memberships and, and some of those Pelotons we were talking about earlier, uh, all the way down to having things like you guys are providing. So I, I actually think if it were mm-hmm. me, I, I like, I don't know enough about your business and, and who you have as, you know, potential leads. And obviously you're not going to talk about it on the air. Um, but I love the business. And I think that, I think you say there's like an $8 billion market available market or something. It's at least that I'm not saying that I think yeah. you guys will get it, but I think that you have every shot if you get into the right buildings and the right commercial offices. And, you know, one of the, if I could give any suggestion again, this is something you probably already know. I hate people who just like throw advice at me that I don't want. Um, we have a, a couple of advice companies. is always good. Sometimes depends on who gives it. Uh, we have a couple of companies that I know of who struggled locally to get into um, a bunch of different offices. They just had a hard time. It wasn't an art thing. It was it was more of a like a food service second kitchen type of thing. Um, and it's actually Lisa App was the app, so I could probably say it because they've been on the show. Um, so what they did was is they they kept doing it, but they focused on getting big brands that had gigantic corporate offices across the country, and they ended up nailing Bain. Mm-hmm. And now they have their service in Bain across the entire company. Every office for Bain is is they ha- they're in there, and it became a million dollar yeah. revenue stream overnight. And then they hired yeah. salespeople to pick apart all the little ones, and they stayed on getting the big companies. And I, that would be my suggestion to you guys if you haven't already done it. It looks like you did with Hilton and the rest, but if you get a couple of companies that have huge offices, you are on the subscription market all day long. And then the last thing I would say, um, if you could answer this quick before we go to break. Um, any of the digital art, there's an element of being able to put in office ads and things like that. It's not where people are now and everyone would be like throw up in their mouth a little bit. Um, but I do think in the next couple of years, it's going to be a normal thing that you see ads everywhere, uh, out of, out of home ads. Is that something that you've ever thought of as like a revenue stream for this? Well, not ads per se, but there is an uh, augmented reality aspect to it for co-branded initiatives, which are extremely interesting so experiential and that we already branding. yeah we already dabble with it like within our client spaces so you know if there's a piece of artwork that's produced by us there'll be a qr code next to it and it'll connect back to our platform so that people walking by can immediately purchase uh, a similar edition or the same or you know something that's more customizable but maybe him, tell him a little bit about the the project at the Fiana in miami yeah, absolutely. So this project we make and match uh, digital uh, digital with uh, analog art, and we produce a series of limited edition prints uh, with a designer who was creating the space in the Fiona Hotel in Miami, and we were able to with them like the props. Uh, so I think like when you speak about millennials, like you're saying before, you know, like there's a like, this very attractive, um, like, aspect of digital art, but also thinking about content. And people don't want to enjoy that piece of art only for the aesthetic, but also what it represents and the story behind it. 
So I think like creating this bridge like we do, like in between the online and offline world uh, is a very interesting thing that Alpha brings into the market. Uh, I, uh, I don't know I, if I that's agree. exactly what you're thinking about. Yeah, but yeah. but even like in in that augmented reality space at you know the Faena, it was it was a fashion show as well. So there were triggers in the actual artwork with you know a, where a butterfly would start flying in your phone and it would take you to that brand's logo. So it's a clever way and a beautiful way of placing an ad in a way. Um, I have one last question, I want, and then I got to go. I just want to make sure that I got this right. Um, there is a do you guys have a plan for doing like subscription for this? It's in the works. Uh, there's, you know, there's a, a lot of different features that we want to roll out. We've gotten a lot of requests for rentals and we partner with companies like Casa One, which do that logistics and operations for us. Uh, at, but, uh, there's, you know, there's the element of content as Renata was mentioning, I like yeah, yeah, that's, that's something to me is, is really it, that would be really interesting to to me. We have to wrap up here, but I just want to say uh, I like this. I'm going to look at it, talk more about it after the break here, and I just want to give you a shout out. Also, uh, Andrea Jang from JLL Spark is one of your advisors, and she's amazing. So I just any anyone that she's working with, <laughs> I think is, is in good hands. Um, so you she's guys, amazing. She's amazing. Where do people go to to learn more about using the tool, and where do they go to invest? Uh, they can come to our website, alphaainc.com, uh, and, you know, check us out, shoot us an email. Our emails are Manuela at Alpha 8 Inc. and Renata at Alpha 8 Inc. And please go to republic.co slash alpha dash A, invest in Alpha, and, you know, be a part of this amazing journey. Sweet. All right. Thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful uh, weekend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. Bye. All right. We'll take a quick commercial break. I think Bob here needs to pay the bills, so I'm going to throw him one, and then we'll come right back. So here's my take. We had a couple of people comment. Um, I got some Twitter feedback already that I'm going to get into right before we close out the show. Uh, we'll give even a little bit of shout-outs to some of these folks. Um, Rodrigo, I'm going to get to your question about the real estate app, Fundrise, so keep listening if you want to hear about that uh, at the end of this. But just to wrap up, Alpha, I, I, I just wanted to say that... I want to say this to them, but I also didn't want to say something that turns into this like whole long thing because there's a million companies out there that can do things like this as we get more digital and there's so many freelancers, right? And this is not a knock. This is real. The number of freelancers and artists out there that are being given the tools to create really cool stuff is growing by the millisecond. And so my only concern is on the branding and on being able to hit that group, hit hit the ground running and, and capture the market, kind of similar to all these other digital brands we've talked about that are public. I would recommend getting a name that speaks more towards exactly what they're doing so that it's easier for business owners to understand and more pitch towards the value prop of what it stands to do to a personal space or a business space. And then here's the great part. The market is insane. And they have a product that is viewed by most people in your brain as premium. But the thing that we joke about, or at least I don't, I don't even joke about it. I guess people in the artist colonies joke about this. I have no idea. Um, artists only get rich when they're dead. At least they used to. And that will still be the case for certain things. But the vast majority, and this goes to musicians, this goes to um, podcasters on, Pel on, on um, Patreon, 
we all as artists can make i don't know why i I guess i'm an artist i don't know i do this show it looks sometimes it doesn't feel like artwork um they all have the ability to create stuff all the time and now get paid for it and if alpha got on a subscription model where they kept offices fresh and employees inspired and even enabled employees and people who work at regular jobs and live in regular places to submit their own art to the platform so they could be featured inside of their office, even if anonymously, is a super powerful tool. And so if they get the branding down and they get some critical mass like Hilton, et cetera, et cetera, I, I, I think you could be on a subscription model where you're like nine ninety nine a month or a quarter and we swap art out every quarter or whatever it is. And I think it's I think that is gonna be a gigantic booming business because a lot of the real estate space that we live and breathe and work in right now is companies like Notel and others are basically buying it up and saying, We'll take care of it. You just come work here. And it's gonna need to be fresh and you're gonna have new clients and new people in it all the time, and so they're gonna wanna see fresh stuff. So I like it. Speaking of real estate, here's my response back to Rodrigo. Uh, who hit me up on Facebook, all of you, please do. Facebook at Katoon, uh, or at, I think it's facebook.com slash Medillion for my my business one. At Technori on Instagram, at Katoon and Technori on Twitter. The question was asked, do you like, or what do you think of Fundrise? And what I think is, I'm all for it. I think you, my only preface is, and I should have said this at the beginning of the show, all of the advice that I'm giving you is my personal advice. I am not a financial advisor. Do not buy stuff because I said so. I mean, do if you want to, but just know that like I'm I don't have a I don't have a have a conscience when it comes to this stuff. I literally just invest with no risk aversion whatsoever. So like, you know, be careful. Um same thing goes with all these apps. I recommend these apps because I use them and I've never had a problem. It doesn't mean there won't be one. So the only advice I'd give you, same to Rodrigo and everyone else, is if you start finding and there will be new apps every day, I swear. Uh, that enable you to buy and sell and trade and all that stuff. Make sure that whatever monies you're putting in there is insured and that you're not going to lose your money. Robinhood got in a little trouble with this when they were going to take on saving. You know, basically you could put your money in their spend account. Just make sure they're insured. That's that's it. That's the first thing. After that, go to town. I like Fundrise because I think that real estate. We didn't really talk about it, but real estate is like still the safest bet of all time because we're running out of it. And it's just like I know we had the real estate boom and bust and that. It was not because land wasn't worth something. It was because idiot bankers bought crappy credit and screwed up, screwed America over, basically. Don't need to get into it. Um, so at any rate, we are going to take a quick break. I recommend Fundrise. I think you should invest in real estate stocks, and we'll be back right after this.